Just a quick note before we start, the BizWiz podcast is now available wherever good podcasts are found. We're talking Apple Music, we're talking Google Podcasts, we're talking Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. So if you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe today. And if you can share the show with your friends and colleagues, we'd really appreciate it. And it definitely helps us out here at BizWest. Thanks, and let's get to it. This is the BizWest Podcast, the show about the news and trends driving business in Northern Colorado and the Boulder Valley. I'm your host, Lucas High. Support for this podcast comes from First American Exchange Company. From simple 1031 exchanges to the most complex, First American has built their reputation on expertise, financial strength, and customer satisfaction. They have the right local team in place with a national presence. If you own investment real estate and have questions about exchanges or how they work or would like to open up an exchange, please contact Trish Mack at 720-584-6835 or tmack at firstam.com. And for more info, www.firstexchange.com. You may notice your host voice sounds a little bit different this week. Uh, I am Lucas High, a reporter with Biz West. Uh, your normal host, Dan Micah, my colleague, is taking a well-deserved vacation this week, so I am filling in for him. Uh, however, Dan didn't leave us hanging. Uh, his presence is still being felt this week. He left us with an interview with Nick Calloway and Jason Brill from Loveland Ale Works, and they chatted about running a microbrewery in the middle of a pandemic. Let's get to it. Nick, welcome to the Biz West Podcast. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. It's uh, good to be here. Of course. So we're just going to uh, start off with a question I ask everyone uh, with this the, the current pandemic going on. For you personally, how are you doing? I'm not quite sure. You know, everybody else got uh, time on the couch. I got overtime. So I, I've been working really hard. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm doing. I, I, I work towards uh, little goals like camping trips and whatnot. We're supposed to go on a camping trip on Wednesday or Thursday next week. So um, having something to work towards has been key for my sanity. Um, my not uh, A lot of people lost way more than I did in this pandemic. I, I got to keep my work and get to do more, actually. Uh, get It's, it's kind of it's felt like starting over a little bit. Um, as far as uh, going back to that year one when I was trying to do everything. Um, but yeah, as far as how am I doing, I don't know, man. I was just going through this a day at a time and trying to um, be positive. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we know that for the past couple of months, uh, a lot of breweries just have been able to be open as they once were. Their tap rooms are closed and uh, many have had to switch over towards uh, growlers, canning, curbside service. For Loveland Ale Works, walk me through what the past couple of months have been from pre-COVID, where you had people at your bar, to where you're at today. So pre-COVID and the start to 2020 has been, it was uh, slow. Like we were having uh, Jan- January, February, and the beginning of March, the first week of March, were really not... Um, not not strong as far as numbers. Our, our wholesale business has been growing the, the whole time we've been pushing cans out. But, um, yeah, like, uh, I think for everybody, January and February were really tough on craft beer in general. Um, and I, I don't know what 
to really attribute that loss in interest to like the Brewers Association has got a lot out on what was going on, but like really none of that matters anymore. Like everything's different now. Um, we used to can like thirty percent of our output, and now we're we're doing like eighty five, ninety percent, maybe more um, in cans. So. We were we had a pretty pretty grim outlook at the beginning of the year, and we were just looking forward to St. Patrick's Day when things get warm again, people start drinking beer, going out again, and we're yeah, just super looking forward to that middle of March bump that we always get, and it didn't come. Uh, the first, and then after COVID hit, uh, COVID week was obviously one of the worst weeks. Uh, no, the worst week in twelve months we had had. And we went through three weeks of, of pretty harsh business. We had transitioned everything into cans, racked kegs uh, into cans, and um, started designing new labels for beers that were keg only before that we needed to can now because otherwise nowhere to, to sell it. And being small just allowed us to uh, yeah, do what we had to do. These places that are huge that have like coolers the size of our whole brewery full of kegs they could not do what we did it's just impossible um so three weeks into covid i had no money to brew and i uh had no staff to help me with it And, and so i started pulling barrels and i started doing weird stuff to this barrel aged beer that's behind me our sour program and uh we, we pulled out an award-winning beer, our tequila barrel-aged sour, and released uh, just like a keg or two of it in Crowlers. And then that was like a, a $2,000 bump in sales over the weekend for to-go beer. And, and it gave people something to look forward to. Like, hey, Loveland Ailers is releasing this tequila sour beer. I'm going to go there on Friday. It's something I'm going to do at the end of my week. Um so kind of like my camping trips that I'm working towards, we like started to like give people beers like that they could look forward to and promote them. Um, we don't do a lot of advertising. We have like no advertising budget here. Um, we try to let the beer speak for itself and, and uh, try to get people talking about the beer. So um, with everybody sitting at home on Facebook and social media, all of a sudden we've got this like awesome free advertising platform that so long as we can just create a little bit of engaging content, it'll snowball um so i started doing these like silly video diaries where i don't even know what i'm gonna say and just talking to the camera about what's going on at loveland airworks today and that helps sales a lot um people have been i know you know i'm actually talking more about like psychology than i'm business so so it's you know you mentioned that there's this kind of this connection between business and psychology, but they, they are intrinsically linked. And I think one of the reasons why craft breweries had such a, um, have had such an effect and why bars have had such, uh, have remained for centuries, uh, even though, you know, their overhead is, isn't great and their margins aren't great, uh, just as pure business, uh, ventures is that, it's a place for people to sit down and to talk to their favorite bartender or talk to their friends. What's it like been for like the social aspect of, of Loveland Ale Works of not being able to see your, your customers and 
Right, absolutely. There's a there's a big social gap left by bars, and, and we are. I, I almost think we're more of like a community center than we are a, a drinking place. Um, a, a lot of business gets done here. A, a lot of socializing gets done here. Um, it's not just a, a place to drink. I, I think that for a lot of people, the the connection they get here is is more important than the beer. I mean, the great beer is important, but um, we we have one one uh one customer, and his last name is actually Beer, so I always call him Mister Beer when he comes in. But he comes in and he gets pint IPA like three or four days a week, and he just talks and he doesn't like he's gonna be one or two two IPAs, but. It was like the second day of, of COVID, and he came in. And he's like, oh, "Like an IPA?" I'm like, "No, you can't have that." And so we tried to sell him uh, a crowler of IPA to go and, and drink wherever, and he was just like, "No, that's okay," and, and walked away like in a, a very like perplexed, confused manner. Like he, he did not realize that the bars were shut down at, at all, and. And, and that like, that was like day two, and it was it wasn't real, but it was kind of like a glimpse of like, hey, you know, like um, like a lot lots been taken from people's day to day. Yeah, um, it's it's the COVID days where we don't have our you know normal rotating cast of characters that work here coming through, and then the the regulars coming through. It, it's it's really um, it's made me appreciate. Our, our customers, our support. I, I it's weird calling them customers, like peer friends. Um, thinking about like yeah, the um, the the community we're lucky to have, and, and our tap room is is full right now, or as full as they'll let us have it. So. And, you know, speaking of community, um, we, we've spoken about this before, but the Great American Beer Festival obviously is not doing an in-person event. And probably so are all the other smaller regional beer uh, com- uh all the other beer competitions and, and gatherings um, where, you know, small brewers like yourselves, you know, just share beers, uh, critique each other's beers, talk crap. I don't know what you guys do in, on the back sides, but, you know, w- what does that mean for for that, that community of, you know, of craft brewing? Because in my mind, craft brewing is one of those, is one of the few industries where, when you when you're competing, it's not really competition. Like you know, it's it's, it's, it's collaboration. It's like- yeah, it's it's a collaborative effort. Effort. Um, I, this business is is it's too difficult and too low profit margin for for room for assholes. There's just not many. Um, I, I was just sitting over at at Verboten, uh, having a beer with uh, Josh. Uh, Grints and Josh, um, another Josh from uh, over over yonder brewing company, and uh, literally just no secrets. All just like, hey, what what are you guys doing to, to make it through this, and and how um, how are y'all? You know, it's, and it was um, it was a nice a nice time, a couple of beers, and uh, but yeah, the the community aspect of craft brewing and the loss of that. Uh, Friday night, Saturday night festival where you get to blow off steam and talk to your friends about <laughs> this account that's not paying or, or this project that went awry or, or, or what, whatever. Um, the support we get from each other is, is key. And I, I hadn't really thought about losing that. When we talked last week, uh, we um, 
I said it was exciting that we were getting our weekends back for the summer as, as brewers. So, um, right. Because, because brewers during this period are, you know, kind of working overtime to produce that extra beer and, you know, staffing the festivals on Saturdays and Sundays and Friday nights. I, yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's just so much to know. We've canceled our annual, uh, party our, our anniversary party uh the festival it's our eighth one because it, it takes um you know months to plan it and we start we usually start selling tickets in may may 1st and it's just not an option to sell tickets for an event that we don't know if we're going to be able to have so we're releasing uh two four packs with a couple glasses and uh i, I brew the beer on monday or one of the beers for the four packs and, and we're going to Go with that. And that's just an adaptation of what used to be our life, I guess. So we're having this conversation on May 29th. Right now, uh, the, the, the state uh, orders that are allowing some businesses to reopen, restaurants are, are allowed to reopen at 50% capacity. Um, Larimer County also has a little bit of an extra leeway. But neither of those orders allow just straight up alcohol serving establishments to, to, to reopen. So if you're a craft brewer, if, unless you're serving food, you, you are, you're still shut down. Um, and, and I'm curious. Yeah. So you, you, you mentioned that you're already open and you already got a little bit of action going. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, we, we opened up on Wednesday as soon as we were allowed to. Um, we, so every alcohol license is required to offer food. And when we opened, uh, in 2012, we decided, well, actually, originally, I wanted to do a whole bunch of garnishes on all the beers. So we had a produce prep sink put in and this big, like, prep table put in so that we could put, I don't know, cucumbers on the IPA. It was not practical. It didn't work out. Never executed it. But having that approved and in place allows us to serve an expanded, like, meat and cheese tray, something beyond, like, a plastic bag of a cheese curds like you get at some breweries um, where we actually serve the um, some local cheese, muco cheese, and sausage and nuts and fruit. And it's just a, a cheese tray. And then there's uh, chips and salsa and some other, like, small bites, really simple stuff. And... We, we talked with the LED and we talked to the Brewers Guild and, and it was like, well, what is food? It's like, is a meat and cheese tray enough? And then like, somebody was like, well, you need to have a sandwich. I was like, well, why do you have to have a sandwich? If I give you two crackers and some meat and some cheese, isn't that a sandwich? Like, who's to say what food is? And I, there's no clarification. So many of these guidelines, are, are they've been slamming them out. They're doing a great job at, at trying to, to control this thing, but they're open for interpretation. And... and so what's food, man? <laughs> in, in my opinion, this is food. And you're pointing at you're pointing at beer right now. Absolutely, I'm pointing at a beer. And all the breweries are required to, to maintain a retail food license. So in my opinion, if you're paying for that food license and you're serving food beyond a bag of pretzels, it's food. But like what? Well, like really, like who's to define what food is? And in the in the governor's order, there's not like a it, normally in like a um, a legal document, it starts with a whole list of definitions of like these are what these different words mean for this legal document. And there's none of that. Um, winging a prayer and trying to follow the rules, and we're scheduling as many food trucks as we can. But it, everything has seemed somewhat 
and I don't want to say reasonable, but but uh, understandable as far as the measures and the protective kind of guidelines they've put in place. But they're like, hey, you can open if you have food. As it's just a pile to me. Like I, I don't. I don't understand what what the um, motivation behind that is. And I, I know, like, they're trying to keep, like, taverns and straight-up bars where it's just like, hey, this is a party and nobody's wearing a mask and we're all dancing around and we're, like, at a rock concert. Like, they don't want that happening. But if they don't want that happening, they should set a rule for that, not, like, saying, hey, you have to serve food. And and to that point, with... with- with the uh, with the bars and the taverns and you know the primarily alcohol serving establishments, uh, I, I mean I assume that you know for for many of them they do rely on uh, on having maybe that specialty tab from Loveland Ale Works or someone else in the in one of the other craft brewers in the area. You know, with them being held back a little bit longer from being able to operate, you know, what does that mean for? Um, what does that mean for you and for other craft brewers that have had that as like a local account and has that has had those relationships for a while? Yeah, you know, this is something we've been uh, we've been discussing this whole time. Well, it started as like, oh my gosh, we gotta we gotta manage this beer that's out in the world that's sitting in these coolers. It's tapped up, or maybe it's not tapped up. Um, liquor enforcement put out an, an advisement that allowed us to like buy back un open product, untapped product and stuff to try and keep the, the dated or the coded uh, beer out of market. Um, but all these restaurants are closed and like we have these numbers and call them and leave a voicemail and it's just really hard to manage and there's um, yeah, a lot of coded beer out there now. A lot of restaurants opening up with old beer. We're trying to keep our beer fresh. Losing the taverns, losing the bars, the neighborhood uh, the neighborhood beer. We are not sure how we're going to manage that. We're not sure how we're going to transition back into that kind of mode of business, into like feeding our tap room with keg beer and feeding uh, our, our draft accounts with keg beer. We definitely like... Um, have discussed moving to only smaller kegs instead of doing like the big half barrels like right behind me to these little five gallon like pencil kegs or pins or uh, six stools and then also like maybe just scaling back and going with like looking at the past year or two of business like who are our rock star draft accounts like who's who's selling like eight or nine half barrels a month versus like somebody's just selling five gallons um, and just you know putting our energy where it's best utilized um i don't know what it's going to look like um i we have accounts that we've had for eight years that like obviously like they're not going anywhere um and we will serve them but we just like how's the demand going to come back like it's it's like so we're all open now in two weeks is everybody going to get sick and they're going to shut everything back down and then i'll be sitting on all this beer because it takes like three weeks to make beer well, it takes four weeks. Cause I got to order all this stuff, plan it, put it in the tank, and then let it go through the process and pull it out. So I don't know what to do. Customer service, communication. But so, like, we've been really successful with moving to be becoming more of a packaging brewery. Uh, it's been uh, actually uh, it's a little bit simpler. Because um, before we're trying to manage our own tap room, all these restaurants. And a hundred liquor stores. 
and COVID took away our, our tap room and all the restaurants and allowed us to just focus on packaging beer and making special beer that will draw people in so they're willing to come to us, buy it, and drive away. So it like simplified our business and it allowed us to focus on like beer and, and what really drives people a little bit more. A quick note, at this point, Jason Brill, who is the head of sales and distribution at Love Nail Works, joined us for the chat. So he is the second voice you'll be hearing. He's been pounding pavement, doing miles, uh, making lots of phone calls. That was the other thing that happened. All these liquor stores uh, were like, don't come. We don't want to see you. Like, don't make sales calls. Don't come and service accounts. So it's like, oh, all of a sudden we're just working phones and writing emails. So that made it kind of like easier and simpler in a way as well, like kind of a, a silver lining. Do, do you want to say anything about like the way uh, Loveland Dale has pivoted uh, and adjusted for COVID other than just like it's bullshit because that's what everybody <laughs> says. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, for us, uh, I think COVID really has changed how we do everything um, when it comes to packaging and just kind of moving our beer out of the brewery. Um, you know, we, we used to be very heavy on on pushing on draft and, and on-premise sales and, um, you know, we've had to basically take everything out of kegs and put it into cans. Yeah, full, full redesign of uh, the way we move beer. Totally. Um, but, you know the the response has been fantastic. Um, you know our beer is selling faster than it has in a in a number of years, um, and liquor stores have been great, and everybody's just been really open to um, you know just kind of working with us in in making that transition. So you know we've been talking very micro about your microbrewery, and um, now I want to take a just kind of like a step back. I know that you know there's a lot of opinions, and you know a lot of people try to make. You know, predictions about what life is going to be like, you know, say in a year. And obviously the situation is changing so much. But for you two, you know, what do you see over this next year for, you know, Colorado's craft brew scene? Um, both the, the, the potential positives and the negatives that we're seeing right now. What, what do you think is in the pipeline for a lot of you and a lot of your friends who are also running their own, their own shops? That's a tough one. That um, is, I, yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, what I see a lot about in the world is I see a lot of breweries that were never in packaging before. Um, so there's more competition know, on the shelf. Absolutely. Yeah. To where it feels a lot more like draft. Um, you know, on-premise is always a, is always a struggle. It's always a, you know, you got to work a ton of hours just to get a few kegs here and there. Um, we, were talk- we were just talking about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see, you know, I see a lot of people moving into packaging because I feel like, you know, if something were like this were to happen again, everybody would be ready to deal with it you know everybody would have you know at least a plan in place for you know if they had to switch everything back if this all happens again in a year and we all get shut down again and you know because there is the possibility that something like that could happen what if um, we run out of aluminum yeah aluminum <laughs> yeah, you know, you know I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of a lot of other breweries you know um i was uh, talking to one of the odd 13 guys the other day they said that they didn't have codename superfan in market because they couldn't get the cans anymore um and that's like and their best printed, that, yeah, yeah, those are pre-printed, and that's their best-selling beer. And 
Um, you know, I think we're lucky with how we do it and that we, you know, we, we collab up with a couple of other breweries and we buy whole trucks of cans at the same time. And, you know, it's, I think one of the things that, that a lot of breweries are going to have to do when it comes to the supply chain is, um, you know, just really start working together even more than, you know, breweries do now. Um, yeah. So we, we buy a, a truckload of cans is $28,000 and it's 155,000 16 ounce cans. That's a lot. Our <laughs> Our seamer just passed a hundred, or the I'm sorry, our canning line just passed 175,000 cans in a year and a half. So if I had to buy 155,000 cans a couple of Januarys ago, I would have just finished them off. So we work with Wiley Roots Brewing Company, Outer Range, New Image, and. I feel like there's somebody else in there. Um, anyway, we work with all these other small brewers, and everybody throws in between three and thirteen thousand bucks, and we split the truck, um, and it helps with cash flow, and it also helps because you got three other brewers to call if, like, you burn through your cans before they do and before the next load arrives. So that that actually just happened. Lee from Outer Range is, well, you better do it. Uh, <laughs> so send us four skids of cans on, on next week. So, um, and then also we've been All working right. with Curie's, uh, Curie's Beverage Company here in town. They make a ginger beer. If you ever drink like a whiskey ginger, that's amazing with this ginger beer. Um, the yeah, Curie's Beverage Company, they buy the pallets of all the ends, all the, sorry, the tops that go on the beer. And uh, those come, I think, 355000 to a pallet. So, like, if I bought a pallet of those, it'd take me years to go through it. So, like, teaming up with those guys has been key for, for cash flow and, and just other logistical BS. Um, it's more of that like, co- collaborative attitude. Yeah, like, I, I, I was I, saying there's not many dicks in this business. He probably <laughs> disagree. No, I would say for the most part, everybody's been really great. Um, you know, everybody and everybody's talking and checking in on each other. You know, it feels like all the other breweries are, are really interested in making sure that, you know, everybody that's that's in the industry has every tool that they can to survive this. Um, and that, I think, just continues the whole collaborative effort and the collaborative feeling that craft beer has always had. Um, and I think it just, it's going to just continue to get deeper and deeper as we move forward. Um, because I feel like without each other, a lot of the small guys like us wouldn't survive. Like we would, Oh, we'd be screwed. Yeah. You know, like we, we wouldn't be able to have the, the ability to buy, you know, some of the things that we truly need on a regular basis. Nick Calloway and Jason Brill are with Loveland Ale Works. Jason, Nick, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dan. That'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. The Biz West podcast was produced this week by myself, Lucas High, with assistance from Dan Micah. Our intro and outro music is The Old RV by Craig MacArthur. If you have any questions or comments about the show, feel free to email us at news at bizwest.com and also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you enjoyed the show and want to stay up to date with all the business news in Northern Colorado and the Boulder Valley, please visit bizwest.com to subscribe. Your support is how we keep you informed. From all of us at BizWest Media, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Today's podcast is brought to you by FMS Bank. Banking made simple with locations in Greeley and Fort Morgan. FMS provides banking that makes sense and makes life simple with personalized financial solutions for business and individuals. Visit fmsbank.com. 
The BizWest Podcast is supported by DaVinci Sign Systems, a custom signage manufacturing firm serving the entire Rocky Mountain region, creating custom architectural and electronic signage for retail businesses, churches, schools, and financial institutions since 2004. Online at DaVinciSign.com.